Hey guys, Ian here with another episode of Unleash and Unhinged, the podcast where we talk about all things dog. Dog training, dog behaviour, dog health, literally anything you can think about when it comes to dogs, we'll talk about on here. We hope you enjoy the episode. everybody welcome back thank you very much for tuning in once again today i'm going to be talking about something that i think we see so many people with young dogs or dogs that they've just brought into their lives make a we've seen them make a common mistake and that is and it's always a balancing act but the balance seems to be kilted in the wrong direction more often than not where they seem to really teach their dog to go, 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 and they forget to teach their dogs to wait. And I'm going to add loads of context to this because context matters, but it is something that time and time again, we see people train the go first, especially with the really energetic dogs, the really exuberant dogs. We see the train the go first, or not even train, we just see them off you go, mate, and let them go and do their own thing without thinking about, well, how do I slow this down if I ever need it to, if I ever need that to happen? So there's a few common contexts that we will see this happen. Like I say, it's often the really, really exuberant dogs, the ones that people go, they'll see lots of explosive behavior, lots of running around, lots of unsettled behavior. Maybe if you're seeing lots of teething or uh, mouthing, jumping up, uh, excessive barking, a lot of these issues uh, can often get labelled, oh my God, the dog's got so much energy. And so when they take the dog out, their kind of goal is to exhaust them in the first place. And so they just teach the dog to go, 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 go. You might, we might see it really commonly as well with, even if sometimes, even if the dogs aren't displaying that behaviour um, or those behaviours, but we've got a breed that comes with that stereotype of they are go, go, go. So your herding breeds like your collies and your kettles and your kelpies, your staffies, people can come into, well, dog, those dogs can come into people's lives and people assume, oh, he's going to be so much energy, uh, I better just run the back legs off him. And... Of course, this doesn't apply. This podcast isn't for the dogs like that. We're trying to coax out of their shell. You know, we've, we've talked about that before, where if you've got a dog, that, if a dog in your life that you're like, oh, we've got the inverse of this and we're just trying to get them to come out of their shell, then this might not be the right time to listen to this. That being said, if you've been through that and you start to see the other end of that scale where that dog that used to be really timid and shy is now all of a sudden quite explosive. Then, you know, learning how to teach the dog and on and off uh, is really important. Those dogs commonly do flip-flop a lot like that because their ability to regulate their emotions is probably not as good as a dog that was more resilient and emotionally stable in the first place. But anyway, we digress. Today, talking about, like I say, the uh, the importance of training an off button. Uh, training, um, I mean, there's so many different terms. I don't love the term impulse control, but that's commonly thrown around out there. What we mean is 
just because something is happening in front of you, you don't have to act on it. You know, just because somebody has walked past you or another dog has walked past you, you don't need to go over to them. Uh, if we've thrown the ball, wait and don't chase it unless I actually say, OK, go. When we arrive at somebody's house or into a dog park or anywhere new, don't just charge in. And these are skills that can often get bypassed at a young age because we get so caught up in the excitement of Oh, wow, I want, to, I want my dog to be exposed to everything and see everything. And we kind of forget about what behaviors do we want to see while, from our dogs while our dogs are being exposed and seeing all of the things that we wanted them to see. Because being involved and being curious is so nice to see. You know, it it fills our fills our cup. It goes. Oh, we can't help but go. Oh, look how cute! And it is. We can't deny that it's so damn cute when our dogs are like this, and we love seeing them so confident. Um, the things that I'm looking for are is even if my dog is young, really small and really young, is this a behaviour that I am going to want to see in the future? You know, if my dog's going to grow up uh, into a a 10 kilo dog even, you know, which is not a big dog, but it's a hell of a lot bigger than a tiny little puppy, is the behavior that display him right now appropriate to that situation? And if not, well, then identify what it is we'd prefer them to be doing. So as we're walking past a puppy, another dog, uh, another person, a cat, whatever it might be on the street, rather than going, I don't want thinking... I don't want my dog to charge at that. I want my dog to walk. We identify what we want them to do. I want them to walk with me, which again is really ambiguous. So maybe even really clean that up. Maybe I want my dog to walk on my left-hand side while looking at me past other dogs until I say, okay, go say hello. And that's their cue to then greet if we deem that appropriate. Um, That's a socially appropriate response to some walking past a stranger on the street at the end of the day don't rush into them but if you recognize that you're sensing some familiarity cool go and greet them as i turn up to a place wherever that may be you know like i said earlier like someone's house uh dog park uh anywhere new what do i want the dog to do first well potentially probably and for my for me personally i want my dog to learn i'm part of this equation so stick with me i'm going to reward you for checking in with me here's some snacks every time you do uh if you start pulling desperately away from me i'm not going to reinforce that by releasing the lead i'm going to hold on until we ride that wave and i'm going to be in the meantime using some reinforcement for being with me instead. So we deny access to all of the running around like a loose unit. And instead, we teach them that doesn't get you payment, but sticking with me and paying attention to me does. And again, it's not to be the fun police. I will give the dog back to that environment. I will say, go and explore. But when the dog's in the calm and steady frame of mind, I'm not going to do it if they're like a little helicopter just charged into a building and going to rip a tornado through everything. It's just not appropriate. I'm going to wait for some 
some calmness, some responsiveness. And responsiveness is a good indicator of whether or not they're calm. And just because I've said, okay, go sniff, it doesn't mean either that necessarily I'm going to let go of the lead. I might walk around with them on the other end, with me attached to the other end of their lead. So not necessarily doing much, but just think of it like a safety net. I'm going to be on the other end of that lead in case they start to spiral one way or the other, whether that's through fear or excitement or whatever it might be, it doesn't matter. And if there's an escalation of their behavior and arousal, uh, I want to be on the other end of that lead while I'm learning about them in this new place so that I can save the day if necessary. Again, if it's appropriate, I can always embrace it and go, cool, this is actually appropriate, but I'm not going to leave it that I'm probably not going to leave it to chance by just dropping the lead and seeing how it goes, especially in somewhere like a social context, like a dog park. I'm going to aim for one-on-one situations. Um, but really importantly, once the dog has had the opportunity to engage the environment, again, wherever that is, after a minute or two, I want to be still on the other end of that lead so that I can go, Thanks for going to check that out. That was awesome behavior. Well done. Now I'm going to go back to reinforcing you and paying you and using food rewards and attention for being with me again, because I still want the dog to learn, even though you went off and explored, come back and really learn that I am really reinforcing to be around and calm behavior is going to get you more and more and more reinforcement and rewards. A big one when it comes to playing fetch, tug, in general, one of the best cues you can train your dog is wait, stay. Basically, don't carry on with in the direction you were going. This is uh, often forgotten in things like fetch uh, when we when we're thinking of play, because well, nobody thinks that the waiting part is fun. But it can be if the dog learns that waiting brings reinforcement. At the end of the day, think of like um, a game like uh, hide and seek. There's a lot of that that is waiting for something to happen because anticipation of the moment is still enjoyable if you know that the moment is coming. That's really important because when I'm building up play with my dogs. I'm going to be playing in a very interactive way. I'm not going to be just some catapult. And we'll talk about play on another episode, but I'm not going to be some catapult that mindlessly just disengages from my dog and throws a toy. Uh, That would be very unhealthy play. I'm going to teach my dog that, yeah, this is engagement time. This is time where you're going to get rewards, but every single game on earth ever invented has got rules. And those rules, they determine when there's going to be reinforcement and reward available. Whether that's access access to the toy or access to my interaction or access to food. Um, I'm going to be, there's going to be contingencies at play, things that actually determine when that's going to happen. And as the creator of these games, I'm going to practice rewarding and reinforcing calm and steady behavior. So if I've got a ball, I'm going to, and my dog is interested in the ball, of course, there's no use if the dog isn't, but whatever I'm playing with, I'm going to use, and the dog is motivated by, I'm going to use that as a reward. 
I'm going to say, hi, mate. Yeah, come and get it now. Ask, I'm going to hold it still and ask him to wait. And I might continue to move the toy a little bit and then ask the dog. Yes, well done. Thank you for waiting and go and get it again. And I will start off with super short durations of asking it to wait because I don't want them to get bored or frustrated. And I want them to know that it was worthwhile really early. But as the dog learns to that the reward is going to come for waiting, then I can stretch it out. Then I can ask the dog to wait for slightly longer, slightly longer, slightly longer. I wouldn't go in a straight line like that. I'm not going to go, I'm going to ask you for, to wait for five seconds now, 10 seconds the next time, 15, the one after. I'm going to do a really simple pattern of easy, hard, easy. So I'll go, I'm going to ask you to wait, wait for, let's say five seconds, then 10, then five, then five, then 10. And I'll get good at that before we go on to five, 10, five, 15, five, five, 10. You know, just really simple patterns where I keep bringing it back to easy route, easy, easy requests. Anyway, that's another topic. Um, but the most important thing, what I'm trying to teach, the point of this is from a young age, what I'm trying to teach is you're going to get rewarded if you wait not just bolt. You know, if I, this can be applied through uh, simply just going in and out of uh, important doors of your house, right? I'm not, I'm not saying that you have to go through doors before your dog or anything like that. That's utter shit. Uh, that dominant theory, please don't buy into that. But that being said, my door to my, the front door to my home uh, goes into a communal area and it's blind in the sense that I don't know necessarily know who's the other side of the door. So I ask my dog to sit and wait six feet away from that door while I open it and check. And once I've given a verbal cue to go through, I, that's when they, that's when they can go through. Personally, at that moment, I don't give a shit if they go through before me or me before them. Sometimes it matters, sometimes it doesn't. But the most important thing is they're not going through just because I went through or trying to scramble through before me. They're going through on a verbal release after being asked to wait. That's that's the bit, that's the level of, there's elements of control that I need to maintain in certain aspects of my life with my dog. And it's not to be the boss. It's not for any other reason than we live in a human world. And sometimes safety requirements are, I need that level of control. There's other times where I just don't need it, but practicing it means that I can ask them, ask them to do that sort of thing. They don't find it punishing. They don't find it frustrating because we've practiced routinely through different exercises when I'm playing with them, when I'm interacting with them for food, when I'm interacting with them on a daily basis, as we go out for a walk, as when arriving at places, I have set a precedence from a young age that you don't just piss bolt away from me, mate. You're going to please wait with me. I will reinforce you one way or the other. I'm going to reinforce you for staying with me if I'm asking you to stay with me. Or if I do release you, then you get that life reward. So it's really, really important, in my opinion, to train this from a young age or from an early stage of when you get the dog. Even if you've got an older dog and you've just brought him into your or her into your life, You've got a clean slate of a relationship in that regard. What you can set the tone of expectation um, in that 
relationship. You know, you bring them into a new home where they've never been through that door or you've never played with that toy and they've never played with you. You've got an opportunity to create that relationship dynamic. It might take a little bit more work with some dogs than others. I won't even go into age on that because some dogs simply will make you work harder for it. I've got one dog in my life, little Django, that naturally hovers back and waits for cues. And he makes my life so easy because sometimes, I mean, it's actually easier to forget to cue him sometimes to say, okay, mate, off you go. And he'll just be with me. Whereas my other one, Otis, I mean, I'm constantly asking him, why are you running? You don't know where we're going. So I have to cue him and ask him to wait far more often. But he needs that help to and support in this modern world because he just likes running at things. So we installed it in him from a very young age, even though, and this is how early I would start with a dog like Otis, I wish I'd started as soon as he was brought into a home life. Instead, we started with him at about five or six months of age. And by then he'd already had two or three months of prior learning of just charging into situations, which to this day has still, it's ingrained in him. So that's what we say. Start off really, really young for the really exuberant dogs, the really gung-ho dogs and create the expectation that, yep, we're in a new place and I'm going to check in with you first. It will save you a lot of hassle. Nobody's ever called the dog trainer because their dog is just like, I'm just going to check in with you first. So it's a good problem to have. It's a great skill to train and I recommend doing it as young as possible. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you want to reach out and ask any questions, please do so as ever. You can find me, Ian Shivers, Dog Advocate, on Instagram with an underscore in between each of those words. Have a great day and I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening. That's it for this week, guys. If you ever want to ask questions, give feedback, or just provide some suggestions regarding the podcast, find me on Ian Shivers, Dog Advocate, on Instagram. I'll be happy to help. If you're feeling really generous, leave us a review on whatever platform it is that you're listening to this podcast on. And if you want to nerd out more with us, then find our sponsors because they're the ones that make all of this possible. See you next week. This episode is sponsored by Canine Caregivers. I've had so many people reach out to me over the years, not knowing where to turn to online for reliable and consistent advice on how to raise a healthy and happy dog. The information out there is hard to navigate. It's hard to know who to trust and who not to trust. And frankly, some of it is just downright dangerous. That's why we created Canine Caregivers, a place where you can come and get educational resources and access a supportive community founded on the care approach for people just like you, whether you've just brought a dog into your life or you've got a dog that is experiencing some unwanted behaviors. The content is updated regularly and we constantly keep in touch with our members to make sure that we are bringing relevant and up-to-date content that truly matters to you. There's different tiers of membership for different needs. So you can be sure that you don't have to break the bank to access the information that can literally make all the difference to the quality of life between you and your dog. Head to caninecaregivers.com.au to learn more.